Welcome to the Meeple Surf Show, where designers discuss design, and we're on episode 57, and thank you, Sen. This episode is called Jay's Win. Uh, that's right. For anyone who doesn't know, I am obsessed with the Toronto Blue Jays, and they have uh, won their Game 5 do-or-die game, so that is why I'm geared up, and I race to Mock's Boarding House Game Cafe in Seattle. So I'm coming from Seattle. Uh, Sen uh, is still coming to us live from London, Ontario. And why don't you tell us about our guests that we have with us? Fun. Hey, there we go. Uh, hey, tonight we have with us not only the you know Kickstarter magnate Travis R. Chance from Action Phase Game. We have Katie Cow from the Chicago area to talk about her game design. We have Suzanne Sheldon in the Hizzy, um, which the Hizzy is referring to actually Mox Boarding Hizzy. Uh, so she's there alongside Daryl. You can't tell. They're sort of in the same location, but they're like next to each other. They're like, look, see, if we pan left and right, we can see them waving. Oh, there, no. Suz is on her uh, iPad, so she's able to aim that thing around. And then there are going to be random people dropping in to the Mox Boarding area. For those of you who don't know who haven't been to Seattle, if you're a gamer and you like games and you like eating food and playing games at the same time and meeting people and taking maybe a, a sip of a alcoholic beverage or a non-alcoholic beverage if you're driving, uh, Mox Boarding, Boarding House is the spot to go to um, and that's why we're representing from there. So uh, I can hear lots of feedback. Somebody's got feedback happening, but that's okay. Because we'll we'll figure it out as we go along. Yeah. Hey, Daryl. I think it's you. <laughs> Katie, what's going on? Hey. Um, right now, actually, I'm working on Wind Up Warfare. I don't know if any of you have seen like the small stuff around. And we recently went to the Stonemeyer Games Design Day with that a couple weeks ago. Excellent. Yeah. Daryl's definitely seen that, um, and I've seen it. Uh, Wind Up uh, Warfare was a game that Katie and Jess, her partner Jess Chu. Um, submitted to the DFW Nerd Night Design Challenge way back when, and um, I adored it, and think that you know with some tweaking it could be a really good game, and <laughs> that's what they've been doing. So tell us about uh, what's hap what was happening at Design Day with at um, Jamie Stegmeier's Design Day. Um, it was really cool. So it was kind of like basically a big playtesting, like a mini unpub, but like in one day, jam packed in one day. Um, so a lot of kind of like cool designers come and test each other's games. So it's interesting that it's mostly designers. Yeah, well, um, I wasn't there. I wasn't there at all. And <laughs> you said all the cool designers were there. I'm a cool designer, M aren't I? Minus you, Sen. <laughs> oh, okay. Maybe someday for you, Sen. Yeah, maybe someday. <laughs> uh, and Mr. Chance, what's going on in your neck of the woods, other than the fact that I can't see your 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 mouth? Uh, no, I'm sick. I don't want to get anyone. I'm contagious, so I'm putting my mouth. <laughs> We appreciate that. Yes. Fact. Um, we launched uh, a, a new game yesterday at 9 a.m. at 
annual Solace game called Kodama, the Tree Spirits, and we funded in about six and a half hours, and mm. it's really doing very well. And I'm pleasantly surprised. We're almost uh, we're twenty eight thousand five hundred and one dollars nine hundred fifty seven backers. I think it's pretty neat that we launched on the same day as Scythe or Scythe, however you want to pronounce it, and. Uh, you know, I would have thought they would just be gobbling up everything in the galaxy, but we still have managed to do pretty well. I mean, our games are admittedly different, so yeah, that, that's probably part of it. A whole bunch of uh, Stagmire mentions in the first five minutes of the show. <laughs> that's okay, Jamie's cool. Um, that's uh, that's awesome, uh, Travis. We, uh, I, I, the original game that Kodama is based on, I enjoyed. Uh, and so I've heard from people who played the new version that it it isn't like it's evolutionary the next step. So it, it's quite quite a, a kudos to you guys as a development team to take a game that was already neat and make it just that much better and make it something that people who already have the original game still want, right? Yeah, I mean it's the the story is is really interesting. Uh, I, I, I've never really heard anything like it. I'm sure you maybe uh, someone else has, but we approached uh, Daniel why we were at Origins. I I had gotten a hold of him right before Origins, and you know we we're interested in looking at Kigi and Koi Pond, um, and he said I got this other game, Trickster. So anyway, we we played Kigi and Koi Pond, and and what's funny is we actually liked Koi Pond better as a game, but it was it it was had some development issues that we didn't know how to fix, and we thought, well, this is going to take a lot longer, and we like Kigi, and we know that Kigi can be marketable because of the weird non-orthogonal card placement, and it's pretty. So we kind of stuck with Kigi, and then it was a really interesting situation, whereas in development where it's like we would turn one knob this way, and then another knob would turn equidistant the opposite way. So it was really hard for us to figure out how to get this really sort of this balance in the game and we're trial and error and working with Daniel who is amazing. I don't know if you guys know him personally or, or have worked with him on anything or heard or, or listened to him talk about design or anything, but he is just great, really great, awesome guy. Um, and uh, we, yeah, we, so a new game, we just got to the point where like so much is different. We, we, we were make you're making another tree game. So, uh, so we ended up making Kodama. He suggested the um, theme and I loved it instantly. And, uh, you know, we've, we continue to work on it and uh, do some pretty, the, the project has just been really unique uh, cool. across the board. No, excellent. Daryl, what's on your mind, buddy? Ah, well, I mean, uh, probably the most uh, pressing thing is recovering and that all the games from Essen. Uh, right. I, managed, I managed to pack 199 games and bring back <laughs> Are you four. kidding me? No, 199. Is that like a record? I don't know, but it was a lot. We should uh, keep track. That, that's kind of a lot of games. Yeah, it was kind of a lot. Although, I may have got myself in a little bit of trouble because uh, to make that happen, I ended up cutting the boxes down in size. Um, and I guess that was a no-no with some of the copies I got from uh, some people. So, Oh, we have uh, a couple more guests in the room. We have Cassidy and Paul. Uh, hey! 
here at Mox because that's just normal here. That uh, just all the cool kids are here and uh, play you testing. Up and yeah. The operational manager. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you know. That, this is every other Wednesday. This actually. just happens, yeah. and uh, we're just excited to be here for... This is our playtesting night. Every this other is, Wednesday we this is the official playtesting. Why don't I just put Paul on? Here we go. <laughs> yeah, Paul, you come on. <laughs> oh. Hey, Paul, what's going on? Talking? Oh, I guess I can't hear the other guests. Yeah. What's Hello. going on, sir? Hey, Paul, what's you? going on? It's Good. been a while. No, it hasn't. <laughs> That's well, okay. We love like having you on, so it's all good. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if you know Travis Chance from Action Point, Katie Cow. Uh, this is Paul. It's not Daryl. It's Paul Peterson, <laughs> and uh, he, he's the guy behind like Smash Up and stuff like that. You know, just smaller. Whatever. Yeah, things like that. Things like that. And then Cassidy, I think, is on his right. Is that yes. Cass? Hey, Cass. She's not listening. <laughs> she is. She's got an earpiece in now. Here. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. I'm moving the camera. There we go. Hey, hey, there we go. Yay. <laughs> oh, action phase. Sorry, sorry, Travis. I get that all wrong all the time because of you know oh. action points. My my bad. Um, so Paul, what's going on other than playtesting? What are you guys doing at Mox tonight? Uh, that's a well. That's what we're doing at Mox tonight. We're playtesting our games. We like all kinds of designers. Seattle's Seattle's a hub for game design. So every other week, a whole bunch of us, like right now out there is uh, Mike Elliott and myself and, uh, and Cassidy from Calliope and uh, normally, yeah, like James Ernest was here earlier and uh, we're playing playing lots of games, having a good time. That's excellent. Hey, we're, uh, all, we're all playing, uh, we're, it's, all, it's all play test games too, so we're, we just bring whatever we grab out of our closet or whatever we're working on right now and, and bring it here and it's good to get that kind of feedback from people like, you know, hey, James, what do you think of this? Or, hey, Paul, here's the new Dr. Lucky board. That kind of thing happens all the time. Right. And what are you working on right now, Paul? What I'm working on right now. What I brought tonight is, uh, is, is, is a new unannounced game. But, uh, uh, like, I've been doing Running of the Bulls for, for Calliope here uh, in general. And um, uh, I, I don't actually... I should do more testing of my Smash-Up expansions here, but I haven't been doing that a lot lately. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, whatever I've whatever I got in the hopper, that's what I'm bringing. Okay, and Running of the Bulls, is that going to be your Titan game for Calliope? Yes, that is my Titan okay, game. Okay, excellent. Last time we spoke, you had no name for it, so this is uh, good yeah. to know. Running of the Bulls. Oh, yeah, well, whoa, I should be careful, because that might not be the official okay. title. <laughs> Maybe that's, not Running of the Bulls is the title. That's right, that's the, that's the working title. Working title, working title. Code name, Running of the Bulls. Code name, Running of the Bulls. Yeah. And Cassidy, how's everything else going with the Titan line right now? Good. We are incredibly busy. Yeah. Back in my ear, so it's going to take me a minute to get used to that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, just finished up factory feedback for Bulls. Paul turned in the final rules, yep. so now I need to go through and correct all of the spellings. Yeah, no, I'm not an editor. <laughs> Uh, we also are getting in some of the final art for that right now, so we're excited. I uh, really like the art. It's amazing. Yes. My bunny is on there. I don't really care what else is on Excellent, excellent, excellent. Yes? Daryl wanted me to make sure that you saw this. Gobblestones! That's, that's, that's our friend's game. That's uh, <laughs> Stephen Glenn's game. That's awesome. I'm are happy to see that. By R&R. Wonderful stuff. Um, hey, Katie. 
Did you actually back that or purchase that laser we were talking about? Yes, I did, actually. Use the laser. You're a nut bar. That's awesome. Um, so tell us about what that is, why you think as a board game designer you need a laser um, or a shark with a laser or anything like that, and uh, let us know what you're going to be able to create with it. Now, just so you all know, uh, Katie, by trade, is an industrial designer, so she's a little bit smarter than me when it comes to lasers and designing things with lasers. So let's, let's let one of the experts talk about that. Um, so the laser we're talking about is the Glowforge uh, laser. Um, Where's that out of? Uh, Seattle, actually. They're doing oh, every, everything points to Seattle. Yeah. Um, and so it's made by the guy who made Robot Turtles, mm -hmm. for reference. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so it's kind of, it's made to be an in-home, kind of like, a, just like a printer, but it has lasers instead of printing ink. Um, <laughs> and I bought it because I think it's really, really neat. And I've always wanted a laser cutter. And for the price point, um, it was it was it worked out. It was cheaper than a lot of the 3D printers I was looking at because I also like 3D printing. Um, but what's different about it than most 3D or most laser cutters, um, besides the fact that it markets itself as a 3D laser printer, which it's not, it's a laser cutter. <laughs> um, but it has a couple features that some lasers don't have, which it has like a camera um, where the laser is at. Um, so you can actually draw things um, and then have it etch right onto the drawing, which is pretty cool. Okay. Uh, and also you don't need uh, an external exhaust system because most, most laser cutters you need something um, to pull the air out um, outside and have a fan running all the time, but this one has its own air filter. So I think that's pretty cool. Really? And uh, yeah, if you if you go with the pro version, which I didn't because that was a little bit more expensive, you can actually feed in material into the laser cutter, so it could technically have unlimited length of things that it could cut. Wow. Um, yeah. And so, what do you hope to do with that as as a from a designer standpoint? Um, I think designers, not not industrial game. <laughs> um, I think making tiles and chits are really neat because um, that's what I like to do the most. Because um, I look at a lot of like print-on-demand type stuff for like bits, um, and the quality sometimes is like iffy, and uh, it's always pretty thin. But mm -hmm. if you buy your own chipboard, um, you can get it pretty thick for prototypes. It looks really, really nice. Uh, San, you saw my prototype for Hefferheist. And it's and beautiful. It it's lovely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that was laser cut, for example. Right. Okay. So now you're hoping to be able to do that on your own in your house. Now, it's not necessarily industrial level where you could manufacture your game yourself. Right. Yeah, but that it's, was, yeah. But it's good enough for making a really nice prototype. Mm -hmm. Okay, excellent. Travis, um, we have some questions for you from our audience members out there in YouTube land. Um, they're asking, do you have any insight onto how why, why the game Kodama has such great traction initially, like immediate traction. Uh, is it because of the designer, uh, or is it because it's a good game? What do you think? Um, well, I mean, I think it's a great game. Uh, I mean, people like Kigi, and I think, you know, Kigi is a, is a neat little game. I, I think Kigi, obviously, 
we wouldn't ended up with Kodama if we if we wanted Kigi. So I feel that we improved upon Kigi. Uh, in terms of why I think it's doing well, I do think that Daniel is a, a rather prolific guy. He's out there in, in the public and whatnot and making sure that people know who he is. So he's the workhorse and he's making sure that people are aware of the project. Uh, you know, it's, it's a combination of things. I, th- I think we have an audience. Um, this is our fifth game, so uh, we've definitely built an audience over the last two years. So it's kind of a, I think it's a combination of all those things. Right. And uh, how is Ninja Camp coming along in development or in the printing process and all? What stage are you at with that? We're just waiting for a production sample to hit print and, and we'll be far away. Yeah, and, and, and just for the benefit of Katie and myself, why all the Asian themes? As a Korean man, I feel that... Um, <laughs> No, I, I, uh, it's funny because we didn't even really think about that until, um, until someone brought it up. They're like, oh god, you're doing another Asian game? And I'm like, oh yeah, I didn't even think about it. I think you're just doing um, a game that happens to have an Asian theme. He's, he's blind to that. He's totally blind to that. They're just games to him. Yeah, which is good, right? <laughs> which is good. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's true. Like, that's, I don't really see it as, as, it's it's a good game. Like it's a good game that deserves to be made, and it just happens to be another Japanese cultural kind of riff. Yeah, and I mean originally it was a Japanese cultural riff anyway, and you added tree spirits, which are Japanese cultural riffs in that in that particular vein of it. Um, so I, I you know I think it's cool. That's great. Uh, Paul, tell us about how you know. Working in Seattle as the as the kind of it's a, it's it's almost a, a mecca for gamers and game design and things like that. What is it like being kind of in the center of it all in terms of you're in a, a hot spot? Well, like like I was saying before about one of the advantages is that my gaming group is full of peop- designers that people know. So when we when we look at something when we look at a prototype. We get really good feedback really fast. We can make really good changes and then come back in two weeks and get really good feedback on the next thing. So I think like any game that any of us do has the best chance uh, be- just because of uh, the resources we have available to us. Plus, you know, we're all there's a lot of game companies here too. So like Calliope, for example. So I it, it's really nice that I'm working on this Titan game and that I see Ray. Very frequently, it's it's not like I'm working with Asmodee and I have to have conference calls at nine in the morning because that's when they're awake in France and you know things like that. So there's a lot there's a lot that happens when we're all together. Right. And what other things about Seattle itself um, make it great for game designers? Is there extra infrastructure other than just designers being there and publishers being there? Is there anything else that's really Quintessential about Seattle that makes it the the hot spot that it is. Sure. Um, well, there's there's a lot of things. Like part of it is that we all that we all that uh, that many of us have come through these game design companies that were here. Uh, Wizards of the Coast, WizKids, Calliope, uh, 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 um, Afasa, essentially. Uh, like Jordan's here mm-hmm. and and Smith and Tinker and and those. Like, all of these companies, we've come, we came from them. We started them. We started in them. 
and learned um, because they're here. And then when we were done, we stayed here uh, because it's got a very close group. There's also the fact that there's a lot of computer games being done here, too. I mean, right. obviously Microsoft and Nintendo and things like that, but it's also, like, I work at PopCap as my day job, and, and it's here. There was a Zynga company here, uh, Game House, uh, Big Fish. Uh, like, big names for, you know, being game designers. Some I, I know a lot of game designers who into it from the computer industry. They started right. off as game designers in the computer industry and make board games in addition. And so, I mean, all of that works together to make it just a great place to be making games and to be experiencing games. Right, so... And it rains all the time, so we need board games. That's too. right, and it rains all the time, so, you know, we yeah, have nothing else to do. Indoors, it's kind of like Canadians in cold and Wisconsin right. being cold, right? Yeah, yeah. A couple other hot spots, or cold spots, as it were. Cold spots, yeah, yeah. yeah. And... Um, in terms of of Seattle, is it a case of if you are a game designer, a young game designer who is mobile, would you recommend moving to Seattle? That is a really good question. It <laughs> would have a lot to do. I mean, yes, if you could do that. I know I definitely know people who've done exactly that. Moved up here. Um, excuse me, game designers who've moved up here to be sort of more in the thick of it. Um, and but it also sort of depends on whether your being a game designer is your primary income. Um, so you could move up here, and if all you're doing is board games and you make a living at that, then then you're much more mobile and able to do that. That would be that would be fine. But then again, if you're uh, if you're if your day job and you're making games on the side, then you've got to be wherever your day job is, obviously wherever the money is. But mm -hmm. if your day job is also a game designer, then this is also a great to be so. Right. So, Katie, let's yeah. let's talk about the Midwest um, because I, I'm, I'm Canadian, as you guys know, and so knowing where everything is in America and where it's laid out is not a strong suit. I probably know more than you guys know about Canada, but still. Um, what about where you are is good about for game design? What do you think? Um, actually, in the Champaign area, um, there's a lot of maker spaces, which is why I like laser cutting so much. Yes. Um, so a lot of like DIY culture, um, where people just want to create things, and like that creativity uh, helps out with game design. Mm -hmm. And, and like, do you sorry, go ahead. Oh, it's okay. I was just gonna say like everyone wants to help stuff. So. Right. Do you find that there's a, a growth in game design culture in your area? Um, I think so. It's, um, and tell us about what you do specifically that helps foster that in terms of the competition and whatnot. Um, so I help out with a game design competition in Champaign called Kudo Plays. Mm -hmm. um, and so what we do is we kind of take people through a whole process of designing a game. So it's a six-month competition, uh, and we run kind of workshops, uh, playtest events, um, and kind of different, uh, as well as like talks from game designers. Uh, we also are near a company called Volition, uh, which is a video, big video game company. And okay. they're really into board games as well, so they help us out with a lot of stuff. Uh, Travis, and you are in Indiana. Indiana well, no, yeah. You're Indiana, in Indianapolis. Indianapolis, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that, of course, is famous for Gen Con. Um, is there any other things that geographically or you know locale-wise make that 
a hot spot for gaming or game design actually is the better question. It's a, this is, I mean, I, I've, to my knowledge, this is like one of the top five gamer cities in America, like Seattle being one, Houston being one, Dallas obviously being pretty good. Like we have something like 15 game stores here that are thriving, like not limping along, and that doesn't count like things like comic book stores that you know have. Games. Also sell games here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous how many game stores are here. I mean, it's for, you know the only thing there really is to do here is die of obesity and make babies. So uh, <laughs> when when not dying of obesity and when not making babies, you play games. Yeah, so that's it. You know, it's the uh, it's the preferred uh, like activity of choice. The preferred path. Yes. Yeah. Um, hey, one, one thing I did want to talk to you about uh, is your 2016 lineup. Um, so you announced, I think the other day, that you guys at Action Phase have hammered out your whole lineup for 2016. Uh, you know, without spoiling anything, without revealing anything you don't need to or don't want to, how does this happen? What is this process? And does this mean that you're not taking a look at anything for 2016? What does this mean to designers that are pitching to you? Um, I mean, what it means is, is like we've we've grown enough in the last year that that we are capable of putting out more than a game a year, a couple games a year. So just this this year, we've, we've Kodama is our fourth game, um, and because Nick and I are both full time, obviously, you know, we we got bills to pay, and there's operational costs and things like that. So for us to not just be plateaued where we're just sort of putting a game out that's paying for itself and kind of doors barely open, is to move forward and take on more um, games. Um, Nick and I, while we are both designers, you know, it's the, the, the cliche that when you're the owner of a small business, you're the CEO and uh, the janitor. So like, we're we're busy doing all these these other uh, sort of menial tasks, you know, answering emails. I go to the post office multiple times a week and things like that. Um, Nick does all of our production stuff and shipping stuff. So, we and you know we just delivered a Heroes Wanted expansion in September, August rather. Um, things are out in retail, so that you know we're we're busy. We got two other games being produced right now. Mm-hmm. So what? So what we did was our uh, our guy lives. Our graphic designer guy lives out in um, in San Francisco. Uh, I knew him from New York. He worked on my very first game called Infamy through Mercury Games, and uh, so he flew out and we basically showed him all the prototypes. and And we've been in this sort of like interesting funk ever since Origins. Um, where we've just had all these prototypes, and it's just kind of like, what the hell is going on? And um, we've been, there was nothing that we could just put on. Everything needed work, everything needed some development. A lot of them were from first-time designers. For example, one of the games that we're going to be making is Kevin's Games, and the guy you introduced us to. Right. Uh, Kevin so, Riley. You know, and Kevin's game, now, Kevin's game is now co-op game. So, <laughs> so uh, it's 
it started off as one thing and ended up as another, and uh, and um, it's the the core conceits are still there, but they but things change right over the process. So the the process itself, we we sat our graphic designer down. We said, here's the games that we like. Um, there's a couple that we want to we are for sure want to do. We have a couple of our own games. We have a Heroes Wanted expansion, um, and then we have this, of course, the uh, <laughs> the ever popular Investigator that I've been working on for a while. Oh yes. So we we showed him everything. We we said what what do you like? What do you not like? Because we're you know Scott's our next hire. Uh, whenever we get to that point that we can take on another employee, our graphic designer will be the next guy. Right. And he's a game. De- he's a game designer as well. He's he's awesome. He's just amazing. Um, so you know, we let him have a little bit of say in the process, how we could do things, timetable wise, how we're going to set everything up, and um, and and that's kind of like the bold strokes of it. So we want to do three games in the beginning of the year. We don't want to run anything during con season, and you know, anyone that's kind of been paying attention to us that we've been kind of running around trying to get stuff done pretty close to the wire on some of these projects like uh, Scoundrel Society for instance was was pretty put together pretty quickly so we're trying to give ourselves longer timeline the, the ability to hype games um, to get them out during con season and play them with people you know we have a little bit more of an audience now so that so you know things like Scythe to go back to kind of where, where we started off in this conversation you know Jamie does a really good job of letting people see his games for a really long time which helps build an audience and build interest and let people get sort of comfortable and um, familiar with the project uh, as it as it evolves. And, and I think that's a really great strategy. So, you know, my, I started off in this industry and my belief was it's much easier to make a splash than it is to maintain a ripple. And I think that my opinion of, has actually changed over the last year uh, with regard to that philosophy. Cool. That was good. Uh, Cassidy. So you need to unmute, and we're gonna switch to. Hey, yeah, we're good, we're good, we're good. Uh, Cassidy, speaking of companies making a splash with Kickstarter or making, you know, continuing a ripple with Kickstarter, or whatever. Um, why did Calliope go to Kickstarter for the Titan series? I did, I'm, I, don't, I mean, I don't know what's going on in Ray, Ray's head. I'm going I'm I'm to balance for a minute and get back sure. to my playtesting and see if I can maybe recruit some, some other designers to come in. Sure, thanks, Paul. That'd be great. Hello? Hello. Hello. So I was just wondering if you could speak to why a company that is ostensibly as you know popular as Calliope is with games like Suro and whatnot, why did you have to go to Kickstarter for a project like the Titans? For a couple of reasons. One, um, Calliope is very small. We're actually only three full-time employees right now. Mm-hmm. That's one um, more than Action Phase. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and we didn't quite have the funding necessary to take on a project that large on our own. So we did need the funding. Another reason is that Kickstarter is a really great community for supporting projects like that. And we thought it would be a great thing to see what happened when we got that community together along with really experienced designers and a, a small but experienced publisher. Um, so it's just a really different way. Also, my boss is crazy. Well, yes. I mean, we know, we know Ray and we know yes. he's kind of nutty. He's awesome, Nutty. He's great. He's like he's like a fudge nut bar. He's very fun. Um, and were you guys at Spiel at, at Nesta this year? No. 
No. Okay, do you guys ever go across to the big ones in, in Europe? Yeah, um, Ray goes out to Nuremberg, sometimes he goes out to Essen, it just depends on what sort of talks we have going on. Um, oh, hi Daryl, he's back. Um, so if we have someone that picked up Soro in a different language, for example, right. we'll go out there and finalize the deal and talk to them. Um, so next year, probably, we'll have some things in the works that will right. make us go out there. Yeah, because you should have a bunch of the the Titan stuff out that you might want to get out to the other side of things. At least three of them. Yeah. Oh, hey, something happened to Katie, but we'll we'll find her later. Daryl, are you on the iPad? He's here. He's pressing buttons. Right. I believe in you, Daryl. Hey, hey, buddy. Do you want to take people on a, a a little walk around of mocks and? Beth, Beth Sobel, who is an awesome artist, by the way, if anybody out there uh, in uh, publisher land is looking for an artist, Beth Sobel, great artist. Um, can you take us on a little walking tour of Mox there, Daryl, and tell yeah, us all about try. what's there? All right, let me try. Go yeah. see my husband. He's pretty. <laughs> He's out there somewhere. The coolest part is this door. Really? That's the coolest part? Oh, yeah. It's it pretty looks cool. like a, a shelf. Have you been to the apothecary? In the wall. Going there now? They're asking you to, if you've been to the apothecary yet, Carol. Yeah, I will go to the apothecary. Is that Mike Elliott that I saw? That's Mike. <laughs> yeah, he's out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi, Mike Elliott. Uh, let me uh, take you through here. So over here? Mm -hmm. All right. So we got uh, the game store. Yep. Oh, and Daryl's, I think Daryl's Wi-Fi might have just dropped. So we're going to switch over to Mike Elliott. Hey, Mike, Mike how Elliott, are you doing, sir? Hi, I'm doing very good. Good. Hi, I've sat over here in, in Maple Syrup Land up in, in Canada, you know, your hat, <laughs> uh, America's hat. Um, and uh, I don't. we've never met, but I, I've played plenty of your games and uh, just wanted to welcome you to the show. So thanks very much for stopping by. Oh, what are you, what are you doing tonight? Uh, I'm here for we have like a Seattle game night, uh, so we come every other Wednesday about and play each other's prototypes and tell each other how horrible they are, and, uh, how, how you should go work work in some other field. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, for people who don't know Mike. <laughs> For people who don't know Mike, Mike, tell us about some of the games that you are responsible for. Uh, so I work. I started out working on Magic for about ten years. Uh, I uh, worked on about thirty expansions, did a, about a thousand cards, uh, lots of mechanics. Uh, probably most popular is Slivers. Uh, after I left Wizards, I did a lot of freelance stuff. Uh, I've done a lot of trading card games. Uh, then I started doing core hobby games. I've done Thunderstone, uh, Star Trek Fleet Captains, Couriers, uh, Dice Masters. Uh, coming up next year, I've got a uh, couple party games, and uh, I'm very excited. I've got uh, coming out with Space Cowboys uh, early next year. Oh, neat. Uh, That's kind of a scoop. They, well, they soft announced it at Essen, but it doesn't, okay. it doesn't have an actual real name yet. So. Okay. And can you give us any inside information on what the game is, even just about, or mechanically what it's about? Which one? Uh, the one with Space Cowboys. Oh, uh, it, it's 
it's along the lines of some of, some of their other games. I can't really go into. Okay, so that's totally cool. Totally, yep. totally, make it totally fine. Totally fine. Um, so your big thing, really, from from the games that I've played of yours, is definitely focused on on good card play, solid, solid card play. What is what is the the key? What is the the essence of designing a good card, in your opinion? Uh, I mean, for tree card games, the, the focus is just that everyone's always engaged. Uh, so if it's a two-player game, you want both players to be actively watching and not uh, have it be like one person's playing a solitaire turn and then the other person's playing solitaire. Same thing on multiplayer card games. You just want everyone always involved. Uh, so everyone's always constantly watching what what the active player is doing. Uh, and I think that's the key to really good card flow card games. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I think uh, like you, you see a lot of cooperative games for that reason because in cooperative games it's like everyone feels like okay we're always involved. Right. And you never want uh, like people to feel like they're out of the game. So uh, one of my kind of sticks is I always make Kind of, not always completely obvious catch-up features, but if you look look at the game close enough, you can see oh, there's there's the catch-up feature in this one. Right, and is, is that something that you believe is uh, a necessary thing in most games? Is to have a catch-up mechanic? If, if it's really fast game, you don't necessarily need one, but if the game is longer than ten or fifteen minutes, then you should have uh, some some sort of way that people don't feel like oh. I missed my one drop at turn one, so I'm just completely out of this game. Right. Because it's it's what I call like just a spiral death. Like you, mm -hmm. you see that a lot in kind of tactical miniatures games where we start out there's a big fight, I lose my big mini, and then it's like in the next 15 minutes is mop up. Well, right. You go around the board and kill all my small guys. Yeah, which is not fun for the person getting killed, right? Right. It's not really fun for for either player, so I, I try to avoid that. Fun to watch. I, I, <laughs> I guess it can be fun if you're the guy quite around stomping yeah. all the little guys that are left on the board. But, uh. So, about trading card games, we have a question here from Sir Bob. Um, he's asking, is there a value system for the power of the cards that you design, and how do you track that? So I think essentially he's asking about card balance, power curves, things like that. Do you use a lot yeah. of spreadsheets, or...? So most resource systems are kind of designed to stop people from putting super expensive cards out early uh, just because you don't want, like, you want to kind of have a range of here's the early cards, here's the medium cards, and here's the cards that are going to finish the game off. Uh, so most resource systems are designed to basically prevent people from playing the super powerful broken cards early on. Right. And make it very easy to play the really cheap cards. Uh, and that's where most mana systems. Uh, I've done, I think, 17 trading card games now. So I, uh, I do a lot of mana resource systems. I've done some where the cards double <coughs> as cards you play or face down cards, which uh, was done for one of my games, Dual Masters. Right. And. Uh, I've done other ones where I took the mana away from the cards, and each turn you get a crystal, uh, mm -hmm. which is kind of the, the system that Hearthstone uses. Right. Uh, I, I used for a, a game called Battle Spirits back in 2008. So way uh, before but, there was Hearthstone, there was Mike Elliott's game. <laughs> yeah, I don't like. I, 
I may have borrowed elements of that from other games. He, he well. may have borrowed elements. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's not, there's not a lot that's original. <laughs> it's a, that's that's totally true. In in terms of um, uh, a system like, have you played Epic yet, Darwin and, and Rob's game Epic? Uh, I I play the a very old iteration. Darwin played it with me at Gamma. Yeah. Uh, a while back. Uh, and it's a system like that where the where the the curves are way. Yes, yeah, it's super compressed. Every yeah. every card costs one, and you can and you can't carry over mana, so it's like either you play it or lose it. It's pretty much uh, yeah. That there's you can make systems like that. It's much harder, mm-hmm. and it gets much swingier. Like in that game, I think you can put out like an eighteen eighteen trampler or something ridiculous in turn one. Yes, my son like, does that all the time. <laughs> Just by luck of the draw, he always gets that card. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, in fact, yeah. I think at the game we play the 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 one of the swinging cards came out early, but uh, we had an answer to it, so it was. And it's kind of, it is kind of epic when you do find an answer to that eighteen eighteen trampler right away, or or what is what is it called in that? It's like rampaging, I think. It's the the new trample rampage is the new trample. Yeah. Um, Daryl, what's going on with you? I just see you're back online. Yeah. No, I. Actually, oh, okay. That's why there's the echo. You just face it. It's facing <laughs> we, the other we can way. Shake hands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm curious about uh, Travis and Rosalie next player. I'm curious, what would you ask your Mike uh, from your experience? Good question. So Travis, Daryl's asking you. I don't know if you can hear him very well. He's asking you what you would ask Mike Elliott, Travis. What about 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 magic cards and things like that, card design. Oh, oh my gosh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know specifically what I would ask him. But you're well, gonna. What what if you did know? I, I, guess, you know, I, I would ask this. What what do you think about the? Have, do you stay current with the game? Like, do you pay attention to what's going on in magic these days? Like how creatures are. You know, creatures are king, and and crazy powerful spells like Wrath of God and whatnot are are diminishing. Yeah, so uh, I designed basically from 1995 to about 2005. Uh, I was lead on like Stronghold, Exodus, Urza Saga, Urza's Legacy, Onslaught Legions, a lot of the earlier sets. Uh, there's kind of this. Uh, people always tell you, like, oh, if you do your hobby for your job, then you'll always be happy and you'll never be bored. But <laughs> what, actually ha- <laughs> what actually happens in the real world is after, like, doing it for eight or ten years, it starts to kind of get a little old, and, and you now have a new hobby of doing something else that's more fun than your actual job. <laughs> so after ten years, I was, I was a little burned out on magic. Uh, when I left, I probably didn't play Magic for at least three or four years after I, after I left the company. Uh, but I have a younger son who's just about to turn 12, and he's been into Magic since he was nine. So I've been kind of forced to, uh, like, they pulled me back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's exactly what happened to me. I sold all my cards years and years ago, um, like, I think just after the dark or something, and my sons are eight and 12 now, and they wanted Magic, so I couldn't say no. Um, and yeah, I'm back in. Not not totally. I mean, 
and that's that's actually why I got Epic was to do cube drafting without having to buy a lot of cards. So that that <laughs> yeah, was cube my drafting is is pretty fun. I mean, yeah. I, I've seen, I've seen I love I love limited cubes. format. I, it's just open format where it's like a. Um, hey, uh, we have a question here. Um, so, and this is specifically for you, Mike. If somebody is trying to design a game where there is, they have a mana system, but the mana doesn't doesn't get replenished. Are there any things that he should look out for trap-wise in terms of that he's not maybe thinking about that you might have already seen in a system or designed already where mana doesn't get replenished? So you just How have a certain. So that would be like a game where you have like 30 mana to start out with and you could spend it over the course of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically on those, you would have some limit on the amount that you could spend per turn. So like maybe like the first couple turns I can spend two, then I can spend three, then I can spend four. And you would kind of pace it so that by the end of the game you had used all your mana up, uh, and, but you didn't have a ton left over. Uh, those, those types of systems are, are viable. Uh, but they tend to be very compressed in terms of what your options are, because you don't want to let people people spend all 30 the first turn, because then all all the subsequent turns, it's like okay, I spent all my mana and now I can do a couple things on the board, but other than that, I'm done. Yeah. Uh, so the the hard part is keeping the strategic decisions as the game progresses, mm-hmm. uh, which often requires you just do some sort of limiting thing. I mean, a real simple version would be just you have 20 mana, there's five turns, you can spend four a turn. And then it's it almost compresses to being kind of like an action point system where your your mana is basically just your actions for the turn. Right. So when, uh, a lot of games with action point systems are similar to games with restricted mana systems. Okay, good. So, Sir Bob, there's the answer for you right there, straight from the horse's mouth. Mike, not that I'm, you know, comparing you to a horse, Mike, but no, no. Uh, Usually, that, yeah. that's what playtesting night is for. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, you're you're I saying I compared myself to a dog to earlier. There you go. Good. Good to know. Good to know. Um, Daryl, do you have any other questions for our fine, fine friends? Daryl, you're mute. I'll try to mute that so that ah. I don't go through. Oh, you're so smart. I can mute. Awesome. How's that sound? That sounds really good. Oh, yeah. We're learning. <laughs> the technicals. No, we've never had multiple people in the same room off location. So, uh, yeah, no, um, actually, I would love to throw another question back at Travis. I know uh, Travis has uh, been at a variety of shows, uh, but... Uh, uh, I'm curious, uh, from your experience over the year, um, especially trade shows and uh, gamer sh- uh, shows, uh, what, what have you found has been really useful uh, as a publisher to be at, especially for finding designs and uh, meeting designers? You mentioned already earlier in the show that at Origins uh, was where you connected with Daniel Solis. Uh, could you kind of share for any of our viewers that are designers trying to connect with publishers uh, what has been uh, a good time for for you as a publisher? Well, um, I mean, you know, one time my dad asked me, because my dad is, you know, my dad has had like the same job his whole life. And I'm sorry, I'm going to go a little undead Viking here for a minute. 
Are you going on a Are you going on a Lance? Love rant? it. Nice Lance. Um, so 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 I you know I, I basically got paid to kind of do what I liked in my twenties, and I would like deliver pizza whenever my money would run out. And my dad said to me one time, he was just was like, "How do you you know?" I was in a band and I toured all over everywhere. I went everywhere, and you know I got to play music and that was my job. My dad's like, "Well, how how do you do this?" And I'm like. Somebody says, do you want to do something? And I just say, yeah. Like, a door opens and I just walk through it. That It's really that simple, you know. Um, and, and I think that applies my to this. It's like, do you want to see my game? Sure. Like, have you ever made a game before? No. All right, sure. I'll give you my time. Um, I think the fact that we're newer to the industry, we're a little bit more, you know, Sin, you even said this. We, we looked at three games from you and Jay, we, we rejected all of them, but we gave you an hour of our time to talk about them, you know? Yeah, because they're awesome. Not not the games, you guys. The games are fun. No, no, no awesome. not that there was... I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said rejected. We we were not interested in three of your games because they weren't right for us. They were, But they were cool games. Yeah. So, And um, it doesn't even really dawn on us that most people would just say, uh, sorry, we're not interested, and that would be the end of the conversation. But, you know, we're actually interested in talking about design and hearing people's thoughts and things like that. So... So I think a lot of it is we've just kind of we've been open. We've been open to meeting people. We've been opening open to looking at their games. We've been open to being on panels. We've just kind of allowed opportunities to to be there and to to t take them. And I think in taking those opportunities, you meet people. And from meeting people, you know, this is a very insular industry. You meet people, and you Sin, you introduced us to a, a guy that you know, first time designer. We're we're now making his game. I mean. It, it really is people connect. Actually, a couple of them, eh? I'm making a game with another guy. That yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Too. Yeah, yeah. So exactly. I, I'm going to be on the Action Phase payroll someday. <laughs> wow. Actually, actually pronounced, pronounced our, our company, company name correctly. For once, I know, right? So I, as the more oh. I do it, the more you're going to say, we should hire that guy. Um, yeah, so I, I think you do a really bang-up job of that. There's another question that you answered online about the value of going to conventions and doing playtests there and showing your wares at conventions. Do you mind just reiterating what you said online to the audience that's viewing? Me? Yeah, you. About, I'm sorry, about what? About uh, being at conventions and playtesting and showing your games at conventions. What's the value of going to a convention for the publisher? Oh well, I mean, I I think that it's it's early exposure, right? So you have the opportunity. So I I think that there is like a sort of a a fork in the road with consumers. There are the people that I call protophobic. As soon as they see a game that doesn't have a barcode on it, they're like, "Get it away from me! What? This isn't real. It's not a real game." It's like, "No, no, no! We've made five games. This is a real game. I don't care. It's not in a real box." And then, so you have those people, and then you have other people who are open, open to, to playing, playing anything. I mean, all I do is play prototypes. I, you know, we were actually talking the other day, we've never even actually played a finished version of one of our own games. All we do is play friggin' prototypes. So so I think that you sit there and you... you there, there's some people that are interested because they want to kind of get to peek behind the curtain. So you, you, you sit down, you show them the game, and, and it helps to, once again, it's like you get to have a conversation, you get to say, what do you think, you know, what did you like, what did you not like, and, and so it's exposure for the game, it helps cultivate relationships with with fans or, or attendees, you know, and, and from there, you know, like, we, we uh, the guy that works as our editor and our proofer, uh, he, he demoed uh, the, the Heroes 1 expansion at BGG last year, yeah. uh, when we were 
kind of shown it around, and now that guy works for us. So does does he pronounce your company name correctly? No, he doesn't. I was just <laughs> I was just thinking about how we should just hire you under the wrong company name, and then just <laughs> checks that can't clear, and just get you to do a bunch of work for us. You could do that. I'd totally be down for that. Um, swinging back to Mr. Elliot, Mike. Um, you're gonna have to unmute Daryl, uh, or Daryl, you're gonna have to unmute the computer. There we go. Yay, you're good. Cassidy, you're awesome. Um, we're, we're actually running low on time, and it's amazing because I didn't think we'd actually get through this one because Daryl was running from Bellingham down to Mox. Um, but I just wanted to ask you, if there is one piece of advice uh, that you would give to new game designers who are trying to get into the biz, trying to get their game on shelves or self-published or whatever, what is that one quintessential piece of advice that you wish you had when you were starting out? <laughs> uh, probably just keep testing your games and don't listen to your really close friends on whether they like it or don't like it. Like, uh, watch watch people's reactions rather than listen to what they say. That's great. Uh, that's probably my best advice is because people lie all the time and will tell you nice things, but you can get the reaction like if they want to keep playing and especially like if they want to play again without prompting, that's that's the positive signs you're looking for. Right, right, right. Uh, Daryl, do you want to wrap it up with Travis and then do the wrap-up? Absolutely. Well, if uh, Travis has been on the show before, uh, have, so you probably answered this question of tips for new designers. Uh, so instead, I, I think I'll, I'll reword this as a publisher. Uh, because we do have a lot of people that are just getting into Kickstarter or getting into self-publishing, what tips would you give for someone who's never uh, Kickstarter before, but they're gonna they're gonna uh, start uh, their first Kickstarter campaign? What advice would you give them? The okay, so I, I have a couple points on that, and, and you know, you, if you're wondering why the show is running over, that's gonna happen anytime you have me on. Um, Which so, we happily invite you over and over again, so clearly we're okay with it. I'm, I'm Lance is gonna ground me for being here instead of on the Alaboom tonight. Um, so, so number one, if at any point in time you have said these words to out loud. I don't care if I ever make a penny doing this. Don't make your own game. <laughs> Let someone else make your game. Because that, as soon as your project is successful, that means that you have stopped becoming a game designer and you are a publisher. You are an entrepreneur, and that means you are responsible for the money that you have taken to transmute that into a product. So I, I know a lot of people that are knock-up, awesome game designers, but they, they've tried to do Kickstarter, and some of them have learned, oh, this is not for me. Um, but being a publisher and being a designer are two totally different things. So if you want to be an entrepreneur, if you want to know how the sausage is made, then, then, then sure, do a Kickstarter. I do personally have a giant qualm with people who treat Kickstarter like it's a, a hobby or, you know, like it's like skydiving or something. It's like, yeah, I made a game one time and we made $100,000. I didn't know what, what the hell I was doing and I just kind of drove the plane into the ground. Um, so I would say, you know, if you don't have business savvy, don't do your own Kickstarter. Put it in the capable hands of a publisher that can help see your, your game through as a product and, you know, you sit back and just put money in your pocket if it does well. Um, 
So that, that would be my advice. If you are going to do a Kickstarter, do your research. If you think you're ready to put your game up, wait six months and then put it up. Don't, don't, because you're, you're, you're probably not ready. Like most people think they are. I think like what Mike said, it's the same thing. You, you, you really need to get outside opinions on things or, or you need to do your research. You can't, you know, if your girlfriend or your grandma or someone is telling you to do it because they think it's the coolest game they've ever played, that doesn't really mean much in the world of, uh, of making an actual product. Absolutely. Great advice there. Thank you, Travis. Uh, I, yeah. I guess uh, on that note, uh, Sam, are we, uh, we calling it a night? Yeah. All right. Well, I, I just want to say thank you for Travis for uh, sneaking over here. Uh, we do want to also promote the Alaboom uh, show. Please, uh, anyone who's checking this out, you have a great time watching Alaboom. So check that out. Travis is there. Lance and a variety of uh, great personalities that love to talk. Uh, it's a little bit of a longer show. I warn people now. <laughs> uh, but it is a great show. And Not by much. It's not longer by much. Maybe five, six, seven times the length of your show? Maybe, maybe. Something like that. So uh, I did, uh, last last time I saw Lance, we were chatting about trying to maybe line up our shows so that uh, we're not overlapping. So we'll, we're still trying to figure that out. So uh, and meanwhile, um, stay tuned for more info on how we'll make that work. I also want to thank uh, Mike and Cassidy. Also, uh, I want to thank who's not here, but Paul. Um, and Sue's for being on the show, and Katie, uh, who we lost somehow, uh, but we're very thankful that she came on to the show so last minute. Uh, and a special thanks to Mox for letting us use the speakeasy room. Uh, very beautiful, i got to say. I've never seen a game cafe that is so beautiful. And I've been to, I think, this is my 15th game cafe, so uh, that says something. It's an incredible space. Uh, if you're in the Seattle area, definitely come out to Mox Sporting House. Check it out. Uh, eat some delicious food. Have some great drinks and play lots of good good games. So uh, with that said, uh, I'm going to now go enjoy some games. So uh, everyone, have a good night. Keep making great games. Look forward to trying your games. Good night.